Good morning, church. I guess good afternoon now. Um, let's read scripture. We're reading Colossians 2, 20 through 3, 4. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Rebecca. Good morning, everyone. My goodness, it's wonderful to see you. Um, welcome to Park Hill again, if you're, if you're new. My name is Evan Wickham. And my wife Sandy and I have the honor of leading this church. It's so good to be with you today. And I just want to start praying. Let's pray. And invite the Spirit of God to illuminate our minds to the will of God. Heavenly Father, your goodness is the realest thing. The realest thing is your goodness. So remind us of that every way we can. Get past our defenses today, we pray. And fill us with a sense of gratitude. And yeah, remind us what's, what's true. Remind us what's true. There's a lot of things, God, we confess. There's a lot of things we believe that aren't fully true. Maybe they're mostly true, but remind us of the truest things today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Yeah, we are walking through the book of Colossians, so again, if you don't have your Bible, raise your hand, we'll get you one, and we'll, we'll open up Colossians, chapter 2. So, how many of you have heard of the Apostle Paul? Cool, that's good. Pretty famous, important guy in not just church history, but in like Western civilization. Uh, so, Paul wrote this letter, Colossians, to a little church like ours, we're a little church, young church like ours telling them how to mature because they were surrounded by a big city full of all kinds of ideas and they wanted to know, first of all, do we really, are we really the true worshipers of God? And he's like, yes, you are because Jesus is the true and living God. And they're like, well, how do we grow? How do we actually live it out? And so he writes this letter, four chapters, Colossians. And, and here's his purpose statement on the screen. It's in chapter one. <clears throat> he says, Christ is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that why? So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's his goal. In fact, he says, I strenuously contend toward this with all the strength Christ can give me because he's tapped out. He needs more strength because that's his goal, to get the church to grow in the right direction toward Christ. And so, so in chapter one, Paul shows the church how to start growing properly. And the starting place is seeing Jesus rightly 
That's where we start this whole thing called growing in spiritual maturity. We, say, we have to see Jesus rightly. And so he paints the most, maybe, beautiful picture in the whole Bible of Jesus. Um, maybe the only, the only rival Bible passage is Revelation. How beautiful Jesus is depicted here and how true he's depicted. Here it is from this letter. It's, remember, this is a le- how many letters do you get that talk about God like this? This is amazing. So he says, the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. You see Jesus, you see God. He's a firstborn over all creation, for in Jesus all things are created. Things in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is before everything, and in him all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church, that's us. He's, he's in charge here. We, we derive our source of life from the head as the body. And, and, and then he's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, meaning we're going to follow him into resurrection one day. And, and so that everything he might have the supremacy, he's above everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, fullness of God in Jesus, and through Jesus reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So church family, that's our king, Paul's celebrating, just celebrating right there. And that celebration is where spiritual life begins. That's where true spiritual life must begin. So I want to say it like this. The life you really want begins with acknowledging the power and authority of Jesus as a good authority, as the loving king over everything in the universe. And when you acknowledge that, when you bring your life under his authority and goodness, believing his agenda is better than any agenda you can create for yourself. If you do that, when you do that, you and I, we receive a new identity, a new core, truest thing about us. And that's loved children of God, truest thing about you. There's a lot of true things about you I'm sure you can think of. Certain things maybe you don't want to confess are true about you, that are true about you. But that's no longer the truest when you submit to Jesus. It's the best, this is, this is the, the result of the gospel. This is why it's good news, you guys. So, and, and what, this is also true. At this point, once, once you receive loved child of God identity as the truest thing about you, guess what happens? It's not just you as an individual loved child. It's you belonging to a whole new family of God's loved children that you can depend on. You should depend on. Unfortunately, when the church fails, on its people, that's some of the saddest stuff in the world. When the church abuses its people, that's why it's just so deeply, deeply gut-wrenching. And it's actually, that's the stuff that makes God in the Bible, Yahweh, most angry. (laughs) When his spiritual church leaders and priests of Israel actually abuse his sheep. That's what makes God the most angry. And Jesus too, the only time you see Jesus acting somewhat violently is when Israel's religious leaders are abusing the poor. On the Temple Mount, he turns over their tables and actually creates a whip and drives out all the animals. Because, because, because the church is supposed to, God's people are supposed to be the body that God's people can depend on. And, and so, because so that's our identity. That's the truest thing about us. 
You and I should be this body that we depend on each other through the highs and lows of life. That's what it means to be in Christ. That's what it means to be in Christ. So it's not just me, Evan Wickham, as like an individual child of God, first and foremost. No, I'm, I'm primarily a member of this family. And, and I just want to point out, that's a really hard mind shift for modern Western Americans to go through. Like we are hyper-individuals. You know, on the, cultural, on the cultural intelligence chart from David Livermore, he's this socio- sociologist guy. He's like, Americans and Australians are like off the charts, some of the most individualist cultures on the planet. Like we first and foremost see ourselves as the center of society, like an individual in my rights. And, and I just want to say, um, that's not the way most human history has been. So in our, in our culture, we're unique. And actually, if you, if you think about it, what's a really good compliment in our culture? Like a really nice thing to say. Like you're special. Like you're unique. You're one of a kind. Like we like, we like that. Because we're product of our culture. The little gold star in kindergarten, there's no one like you. You're a shining star. You're a, you, you know, there's no, just like the snowflakes, there's only one of a kind. You're one of them or whatever. Like that that resonates. That resonates with us. We like being told that there's no one like me. Um, but most people in human history would respond to that like, I'm the only one of me? What, what, what do you mean I'm unique? Like, what about the group? How am I benefiting the group? That's most of human societies. Um, and that's not, all, that's not our default thinking today. We, we have our own private benefits and private homes and cars that take us to our personal destinations that we chose for ourselves. No one, no one else needs to know. It's no one's business. It's my business. It's my car. Um, but you guys, that individualist way of thinking is new in human history. For thousands of years, and still in most cultures, humans live much more interconnected. And this is seen in the very language of the New Testament, you guys. Virtually every command in the New Testament, love your neighbor, be kind to one another, give to the poor, virtually every command is a plural object. In other words, it's y'all, not just you. In the Greek, they have a plural, second person plural. In English, we don't really have that unless you're from the South, you have y'all. You know, we don't say y'all very much in California. But, but, but in Greek, there's a y'all. It's a different spelling. And those are all the commands in the New Testament. There's very, very few individual commands. Because the New Testament, including Colossians, is written to the family about the family. And that's how the first readers read it, with that family identity primary. primary, Not first and foremost as individuals, but like primarily as family. And then our individual lives are meant to serve the group interests above our own personal ones. And, uh, and so, that, you guys, and here's why this is hard for us to hear, because uh, we have to make that mind shift to receive the blessing of the new identity that Jesus has for us. Children of God, body of Christ, interconnected and dependent, not independent of each other. And that is the way to maturity. That's the way to grow. We mature as we intentionally live into our collective identity, our community. We use the word community. And Paul says it this way in chapter 2. He says, so then, just as y'all, remember, 
That's actually plural in the Greek. Just as y'all received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live y'all's lives in him. Hear this together and do it together. This isn't me on Monday morning in my private bread reading, although bread reading is great, we should all do it, but the primary hearing of scripture is together in community. Rooted and built up in him, strength, by the way, bread is our, if you're new to Park Hill, bread is our uh, reading plan that our church has. You can get a journal and follow along. That was, that was like an insider comment, sorry. But uh, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as y'all were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. So, so that right there is what today's all about. We come to the end of chapter two and chapter three with all that in mind, it's like this, this family identity that's the way we grow when we live into this family identity community. And now, so Paul knows this, and now he's, now he's gonna go after our core identity issues, like our identity problems. And we have them. We have identity problems. I've alluded to them already. There are forces at work, both out in culture and in our own bodies, Dark forces working overtime to make you forget your family identity in Christ. And Paul wants to liberate us from the lies and half-truths and even true truths that we believe about ourselves that aren't the truest things. And they keep us from the life you want. They keep us from the life you truly, deeply long for as God's loved family. So... To get under our skin and into our core motives, Paul asks this question. He says, this is, this, now we're at our passage. He says, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, meaning since you died to the old way of doing things, why, as though you still belonged to the old world, do you submit to its rules? And the rules in that day was, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. So what's going on here? This, is, this needs some translation. That's, that's confusing by itself for us because he's talking, what's, what's don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Those are ancient Jewish laws from Moses in the Torah. So if you're an Orthodox Jew and you're here, welcome. You know those rules. You live by them if you're an Orthodox Jew and you're here. Like, you know, avoid, don't eat shellfish, or bacon, and, and, uh, and that's good. Those are good things for Orthodox Jews to observe. They do this. So Paul's saying, but, but here's what Paul's saying. In reality, in the new reality that God is birthing in the world, in the kingdom of God, those, 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 are, those are actually the old, that's the old system for, for finding out how to value yourself. In other words, those are the old values for success and fulfillment. So, so here's where I'm going. Church family, you died to the old system. You don't belong to that world anymore. So Paul's like, why are you, if you live in the new world, if you live in the kingdom, if you live in the family of God, why are you submitting to the old system's rules to determine your worth? That's what he's saying. So, 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 so we don't have a problem with Moses' laws. I don't know how many of you at work are tempted to fit in by avoiding shellfish. So, I don't know, maybe you work at an Orthodox Jewish office, I don't know, but, um, but like San Diego culture is not like, hey, come be the best version of yourself by not boiling a baby goat in its mother's milk. Live your best life, you know? 
It's supposed to be kind of funny, but so did, so did anyone walk in here just really proud of yourself and pumped that you haven't touched a dead corpse recently? Those are, old, those are Moses' old laws. Didn't think so. So that's not how we measure our personal worth. That's how they were tempted to measure their personal worth. But how are we? For us, it's not, you know, my life will just matter more if I avoid bacon. That's not how we do it. For us, it's more like, my life will matter more if I just improve my body. That's, that hits, or that hit, resonates with us. Or, or my life will matter more if I just get on that health and wellness train. That'll get me there. Or more exercise, that'll make me more valuable. Or a higher degree. Or a better house. Or a more respectable position at work. More money, an attractive partner. The list goes on. These are the values for success and fulfillment in today's world. Am I right? I mean, you, you can add to the list the things that you measure your worth by, your meaning and purpose in the world. Here's, here's what Paul has to say to that. Are you ready? He says, these rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, they're based on merely human commands and teachings. Right? Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom, meaning it's a good thing to exercise. It's not a bad thing to apply anti-aging serum on your face, you know, like there's nothing wrong with that. It's like these have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So here, so let me ask you, you know, fill in, fill in the sentence, complete the sentence. I'll be more fulfilled if I blank. When you're honest with yourself and you answer that, that's the measurement you value yourself by. I'll be more fulfilled if I blank. If I just do this thing, or if I become this kind of person, then I'll reach the best version of myself. Or like Paul would say, I'll be fully mature. Remember, Paul's writing this letter to get these, these people to reach full maturity, or I would say to, to, to reach the life they most deeply want. That's what God wants for us, the life we most deeply long for. And so what's the blank? I'll be more fulfilled, I'll be more meaning, I'll be more valuable if I, what is it? And Paul would respond to that, wait, 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 aren't those the old rules? Those are the old, isn't your identity loved child of God now? Yeah, didn't your old identity die? Which means the old way of getting value is dead to you. When you said yes to the crucified Christ and through baptism, in baptism, you know what baptism is? It's the public act of identifying with the death as you go in the water and the resurrection as you come up out of the water and you say, I'm Christ's and I belong to his family because I identify with his death and burial and I will be raised with him. I'm raised with Christ. When you, when you do that, Suddenly you're saying the old system has no say over my value anymore. And so Paul's like, hey, aren't, didn't you get baptized? So why on earth would you go back to the old system to measure yourself? Isn't that exhausting, he's saying. We're like, yes, it's exhausting, but it works. 
Like money and sex and influence, they come with like a little bit of value and a sense of peace. And my loneliness goes away for a while and meaning and belonging. I get meaning and belonging and Paul's like, do you? Do you really? Like think about your money and your sex life and, and how you steward your influence. You're an influencer. And even think of like, I don't know, your self-care regimen. When these things are leveraged for God and other people, they're really good gifts. There's, they're all good things. But when we make them the measure of our value, they stop being really good gifts and they just become really bad gods. It's important to take care of your body. Don't get me wrong, and your money and, and your sexuality and your relationships. It's important to do this stuff because it's good to honor God and other people with your whole person. But here's the point. At the end of the day, if you are a follower of Jesus, that means you died with Jesus on the cross, you were baptized, which means you don't belong to the old system. The new system, the new world, is breaking in. Jesus called the new world, what do you call it? It's on the screen. The kingdom of God, that was his favorite phrase for the new world. Before we read the rest, have, how many of you guys are Billy Joel fans? A little bit? Cool. I think he's great. So he has that song, New York State of Mind which is a weird song because it's a love song to a city, you know? He's like, you know, waxing romantic toward a city. And uh, New York is a pretty great place. Uh, but he's like, I don't want Miami Beach. I don't need Hollywood. I'm on a Greyhound bus because I have a New York state of mind or whatever. Like he's, you can have all the other things. I'm a one city man, you know? And, uh, you know, just to, just to kind of make a corny parallel, that's actually the song Paul's calling us to sing for the new world. Like, not a New York state of mind, but actually have a new world state of mind. And to sing for the city that God is building. Um, so I listened to that song on the way here, and I was like, this is amazing. I forgot how great this song is. A uh, new world state of mind, you know. And so, like, where, in the new world, what's the new world? Jesus called it the kingdom, and he said it's break. The kingdom's breaking in. The kingdom is coming in right now through the spirit-filled church. And here in the new world, it's where moth and rust cannot destroy because fashion doesn't determine your value there. The new world is where thieves can't break in and steal because money can't dictate your meaning there. It can't. It's just a tool for higher, higher meanings for God and for others. In the new world, it's where aging, you know, we don't like to age in our culture, which is also pretty new. Most cultures honor the elderly in ways far more loving and profound and like deeply honor the elderly and our culture doesn't. And so in the new world is where aging, disease and death simply can't destroy your beauty and your belonging. It's the city of God. So honestly, guys, don't you want to live in the new world? Don't you long for that, to live in the new world? Well, guess what? You already do. This is Paul's point. You died to the old world when you were baptized into the family. You live in the new world now. It's the truest thing about you. The rules that mattered in the old system no longer matter for you. You're free to see this now. You're free to see this, clearly. Don't you want to see this? Like, wouldn't that be not, you're like, that would be not, no, it's there. 
Do you want to see this? Isn't this what you long for? So to get under the skin again, let me ask you, which world is most real? The cultural narratives of financial and sexual prosperity around us? Or the new world of Jesus, the kingdom of God that's already breaking in through the spirit and power church family that we just talked about? Which world is actually more real to you? What Paul's trying to do is wake you and me up to stay awake to our new world identity we already have. It's already true about us. So a a quick illustration that starts silly and ends hopefully, I think it ends fascinating. Um, So who here remembers that 2004 rom-com 50 First Dates with Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore? Yeah, okay. So I'm not going to get into the plot, whatever, but it's a goofy, it's a goofy movie. Drew, Drew Barrymore's character, what's her problem? Amnesia, yeah, like a, a weird amnesia. This amnesia, she, she remembers her whole life up to the car accident, but then after the car accident, she forgets any new experiences from the day every time she sleeps. So she just relives the day after the car accident every day. Um, so what do her loved ones have to do? Her loved ones have to get creative and remind her who she is so she can keep growing in relationships, right? Okay, enough about the plot. Here's, here's where it gets interesting. The movie came out in 2004, and the medical professionals that watched the movie are like, they laughed because that's just a fake, that's fantasy amnesia. There's no such thing as an amnesia that actually reboots every time you sleep. No such thing until 2005. In, in 2005, an actual case popped up called Patient FL, like stands for like Florida, Patient FL. Uh, you can Google her. Patient FL got in a car accident in 2005, and then she reported difficulty retaining information from one day to the next. And in standard brain tests, uh, it was right. She, it was a legitimate amnesia. They determined she could remember things from the same day, but after sleeping all the way through the night, she would have zero memory from the previous day. So patient FL, the, re, the real whatever, the real Drew Barrymore. So, but, but get this. Here's where, here's where it gets interesting. When they combined standard brain tests with psychological evaluations. They came at it from different angles. They discovered something. Yes, she was experiencing daily amnesia, but her specific form of it, her her form of amnesia was actually shaped subconsciously by her love of the movie before the accident. They discovered this. They discovered that she loved, she was such a fan of 50 First Dates from the year before that that it subconsciously shaped her physiological malady. So, so, So it was a physical reality and a social reality she absorbed. It was like a messy hairball of both for her that she couldn't pull them apart. Um, And she experienced it as real. She would go to sleep at night, and the whole night, like eight hours sleep, would just zero out her memory. So, and here's the final interesting thing. She was able to recover. She was able to control her symptoms by disciplining herself to wake up every four hours. 
That's how she was able to, Johns Hopkins University figured that out for her. So she was able to fix her, control her symptoms by setting her alarm every four hours. If she wanted to be mindful and grow in her relationships, she would do the work. And so you see where I'm going with this. This is an amazing, amazing parallel for what Paul's trying to do for all of us. Um, we are a messy mix of flesh and sin and also social messaging. And we can't, we're not able, we're deceived. We can't separate the two, right? We can't determine the lies from the truth. That's what being deceived is. Um, and we can't always see when we're being influenced to forget what we truly are. And so we get our sense of value from the old world instead of from the community that's the most real thing, this family that Jesus is building. Even though we believe in Jesus, our bodies don't. And so uh, Paul's calling us to do everything you can to wake up, set your alarm and remember who Christ is and who we are which is why we come every week, eat the bread, drink the cup, because we, are am, we have amnesia. This is what it means to be human. We forget, which is why the main command of communion is what? Remember. It's what we do at the table. Remember. Remember. Because we're plagued with this amnesia. And so what's the truth? Let's remember. Let's remember right now. Here's the truth. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. Creator God from eternity past, he's also the crucified, risen, reigning authority over your body and our city and his church family, our family and the universe. And guess what? He loves you. Jesus Christ loves you. In this, God demonstrated his love toward you, toward us, plural. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. So step one to true maturity, the life you really want, is to trust that Jesus knows how to lead us better than we know how to lead ourselves. Trust that Jesus knows how to be human better than any of you humans and me do. And so the moment we make that move and trust him, in that moment, something becomes the truest thing about you. It's that Christ is now in you and you are in Christ. You are the loved family of God and that's not just the true thing, that's the truest thing. There's lots of true things about you, that's, but that's the truest. And so here's, Paul, here's how Paul wraps this up. Here's how he preaches the truest thing. He says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. What does that mean? Set your hearts on, it means set your alarm every four hours, you guys. Set your alarm on the new world. Do everything you can. Verse two, set your minds on things in the new world, not on the old system of valuing yourself and measuring yourself. For you died to all that and your life is now hidden from the old stuff. You're now hidden from the old system because you're in Christ. When, and then when Christ, who is your life, appears, you'll also appear. You're set. Your future's settled. That's the truest thing about you. You belong because you're in Christ. So what's going on in this room right now? You guys, we're a church, which means we are an embassy of the new world 
in the old world's territory. That's what a church is. An embassy of the new world in old world, old world territory. We're an outpost filled with the spirit living by the ethic of the new world against the grain of the old systems. That's what we do. One day Jesus is going to come and bring the new world and, and guess what? All that will be is the new world. One day all, the only world that will exist is the, is the new world, the kingdom of God. But until then, you guys, there is a messy overlap. George Eldon Ladd called this the already not yet kingdom of God. I call it the messy middle. Mark Sayers calls it the gray zone. And the gray zone, it creeps all the way into our chests and into our minds. It really wants your desires. Ancient Christian mystics called it the world, the flesh, and the devil in a co-conspiracy, the unholy trinity, dead set against the Father, Son, and Spirit, the world, flesh, and the devil. They conspire, and they're part of the old system, and we hear their voice as if it's our own. And so we remind ourselves, we set our alarms, we wake up every four hours to remember the new world, to remember our truest identity. You belong to this family regardless of how you perform or, or what your past was like. You belong here no matter what your past was like or what other identities you bring to the table with you. The God of creation loves you and now empowers you to live toward your primary identity, loved child of God. That's the life you were made for. It's really the life you long for. Right relationship with God, others, yourself, and creation in his family. That's your primary identity. That's it. And here in this passage, that's Paul's goal. Number one goal is to remind us to remember this. Remind us to remember this. Set your alarm. Because Paul's like, you guys, the fullness of life can't come from that ideal job. You know, in San Diego, it's like, oh, if I can just own a home, you know. Like, it's so, it's so... You're almost, the city, the city's so nice that it almost convinces you that if you just owned a home, you would actually arrive at full human status or something. Uh, but that's the old system. It's 100% the old system. Besides, who pays off their home anyway? Just kidding. But... <laughs> That wellness plan, that workout routine, that job, they're nice things, but they're the old way of, dis, of deciding, deciphering your worth. They don't dictate your worth. They really, really don't. Gary Bashir is one of my mentors who's coming in May to do our May House of Learning. He calls those things the old way of feeling good about me. The old way of being hopeful for the future. The jobs, houses, workout routines, whether I look younger or older than my age, those things are the old way of finding hope that you're dead to now that you're in Christ. They have no power to add meaning, ultimate meaning to our lives. And f our full maturity depends on us living into that reality. Together, we need each other. We can't do it as individuals. So, now here's a problem. Can I just, 
I'm trying to do a Paul. I'm trying to follow Paul and like keep getting under our skin here. Um, here's our problem. We're Christians, most of us. And so we're like nodding our heads, you know. In church, you nod and you say, mm, amen, you know. And, and, and that's great. That, that makes me as a preacher feel like you're listening. Um, and it's great to do. I'd love more engagement in sermons. But like in church, you can nod your heads. Yeah, amen. I'm a loved child of God. It's the truest thing about me. And, and your body continues right on living by the old rules at the same time. We do this. Without even realizing, we can mentally agree that the lies are lies and live out the lies. You know, this is, you know, John Mark Comer's whole book, Live No Lies. That's the whole premise of his book. You can confess the gospel and live out lies that are silently embedded in your DNA. Um, and and so, it's, it's, so it's like, yes, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. We agree. Psalm 23. The Lord has given me everything I need. I lack nothing. And I'm really stressing out about finances right now and not leaning on my community that has my back and not asking them for help. That's a, that's a paradox there. That's, doesn't, those things don't go together. Or, yes, I belong here in God's family. I belong because I'm beloved. And I, put on a, I need a mask to show up in community because I don't want to be hurt again. I belong here and put on a mask. I belong. I belong. Because vulnerability got me last time. won't get me again. And that's, re- that's real. Sometimes a community is the place you get most hurt. Which is the cruel irony of the beautiful kingdom of God is that the only place where you get healed from community-inflicted wounds is in community. And so trusting that Jesus has his church and the only healing he has for you is in community, I take off my mask. But, but we don't do that. We keep it on. This is the, this is the oxymoron of our mixtureness. We're a mixture. It's the gray zone. We agree with our minds and live out the lie. And, or maybe, yes, I'm single. I'm unmarried. And my, fi- because, and my final hope is in the wedding supper of the Lamb. My whole body and my sexual purity, it is a signpost to that day when I'm presented to Christ and the true marriage of the Lamb happens. I'm single and I'm kind of angry about it and I am open a little bit to sexual compromise. We're mixture. Or, or I'm, maybe I'm married and I agree with the vision of marriage in Scripture that male and female is Christ in the church. And when husbands and wives love each other and defer to each other, Christ in the church image is, is, is mirrored out into creation. I agree that and I'm dabbling in porn and unable to tell the vulnerable truth about what's going on in my heart to my trusted community, let alone my spouse. And, and you guys, my friends, I say this not to shame anyone, but to, but to point out the difficulty we all face as children of God in the messy middle. We are empowered to live into the real, the kingdom of God that's breaking in. But the old way of doing things is so loud around us, inside us and outside us. And so here we are, children of light, in the dark, messy reality, which is why we desperately need this reminder from Christ. Since then, you have been raised. Is that a promise in the future or is that a present reality? When he says, since you have been raised, is he naming a reality now or something that will happen? Now, but yes, it's, not, it's a fact about you now. You, since you have been raised with Christ, 
Set your alarm to remind yourself that you have been raised in Christ. Live into the new world because you're in it already. So much of the New Testament boils down to one command. Become who you already are. Children of God, live like children of God. Loved sons and daughters of God, live like you're loved. You see this, become who you already are is the primary command of most of Paul's letters, not excluding this one. Don't let the old system determine your core values because you, you died to the old system. And your life is now hidden with Christ, protected in God. Praise God, which means when Christ who comes, he's your life. He is your life. You'll also appear with Christ as he comes. Hallelujah. So whatever it takes, whatever it costs you, do everything you can in your power to make that more real in the forefront of your mind. Whatever it takes. To trust in Christ is to take hold of that identity and then that identity from that, you intentionally journey with a family toward true maturity that's possible by the Spirit's power. You guys, that's the only way this thing works. So are you believing the truest thing about you today? Are you believing the truest thing about you? Or are you believing a bunch of other things about yourself that might be true, but not the truest? All of us believe a lot of things about ourselves all the time. For me, I, I think I'm a decent husband. I believe that, and I think there's mostly truth to that probably. I, I love what N.T. Wright says. He's like, I, I have my theology, and 80% of it's true. The problem is I don't know which 20% is the wrong theology, you know? <laughs> so, like, that's humility. But, but I, I think I'm a good dad, and I live into that hopefully most of the time. I'm also, I think I'm a decent husband. I'm a pastor. These are identities. These are true identities. I'm a musician, songwriter. Maybe I think of myself as spontaneous and um, Anagram 7, ENFP, Myers-Briggs. You know, these things are these things that are, they, they're true. And there's also other true things like maybe Maybe you're here and, you're, and there's a true thing from your past. Like you plagiarized in college and you were dropped from your class with an incomplete and it was devastating and embarrassing and you still believe you're a plagiarizer and you still won't get back up and try because you think you're a liar. It's just the, it's a true thing about your past that's, that has become the core truth to you and it's not. It's actually not. So there's good true things and there's bad true things that are true. Maybe I was abused. True. Maybe I was, maybe I failed. I'm a failure. I actually was a failure. And, and it turns into I am a failure. Yeah, there are things I fail. That's true. But how deep does that identity go? I'm a hard worker. I'm a good parent. I'm pretty. I'm unloved. Whatever. Honestly, some of the most powerful identity statements in our lives that keep us from living out the truest identity are the identity statements that actually have a lot of truth to them. Which is why we need to keep calling our minds, setting our alarm to wake up to the new world you already exist in. You know how we do that? Over and over and over, bread and cup, remember 
body and the blood for you. Over and over, we sing the same songs at church. Over and over, we actually repeat the same chorus lines for five minutes straight. Over and over, gather in community, read the same book of the Bible. How many, how many times, if you've been a Christian for 10 years or more, how many times have you read the Gospel of John? Over and over, and guess what? You should probably start the Gospel of John this week too, or whatever, you know, like Gospel of over and over because we have amnesia. And prophesy the truth for encouragement, comfort, and love in community groups, praying, listening to the Spirit, and then saying, I sense God wants you to hear this truth about you. And it's good and beautiful. It comes from 1 Corinthians 14 or whatever. We need to speak these things and hear these things over and over. We fall asleep for eight hours and we wake up and forgot the day before. We forget who we are. And we need to watch Adam Sandler's video over and over again. We need to put the VHS in the thing and watch how we've been loved. How God has come in Christ to rescue us. Recite the creeds. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, our Lord. Born of the virgin, conceived by the spirit, all of that. We need over and over and over. Because we're a mixture. But we died. We're already dead to the old world. We already live in the new one. And now my life is hidden with God, but I'm mixture. So just to wrap up, I think, I think it'd be most helpful if, if um, I just kind of wanted, wanted to be vulnerable and transparent with how this is intersecting my own life, um, how this works out for me. So 10 years ago, I, I started seminary and I'm like, I'm going to do seminary. And I'd like to say that I, I've, maybe if you've been at Park Hill for a while, I've, you heard this story. It's been a, maybe a year or two since I've told this story. But um, I'd like to say I went to seminary with, like, golden motives. You know, like, I wanted to get equipped to serve Christ in obscurity. You know, just bless the bride of Christ with tools and humility or whatever. I'd like to say that, but then that, that was some truth. There was some truth to that. But there was also a big chunk of, I'm gonna do seminary since there's already a musical brother in my family, I'm gonna be the educated brother. <laughs> Just being real. And, and, I, and, and the, that trash would come out of my heart when I would, when I would get what I thought was an unfair grade. And I'm not actually doing a, I'm not actually writing a paper to be equipped for the church. I'm writing it for status. And I was so angry when I felt unjustly judged by the professor. I was a mean person to be with. I was a very bummer to hang out with around the end of a semester. Uh, it's seminary. So you know why this is? Identity crisis. I'm living by the old rules. I was living by the old value system. So that's 10 years ago. And, you know, four or five years later, God slowly dealt with me and the graduation was beautiful. My family was around me. Five years now, five years ago, uh, I'm invited into this intimate group of pastor friends. 
They're like, Evan, come like, journey with us. We want to be brothers in arms. And so we get away once a year for a week to pray together. And honestly, this group of pastor friends, I, I, some of them were my close friends, but other ones are like, I'm a fan of these guys. <laughs> like they, I listen to their podcasts, and now I'm, now I'm like, I have a cigar on a cliff overlooking the beach with this guy. I'm like, what is going on? This is amazing. And, and I'm just... I'm just in this, and, and I'm actually crippled beside myself with crippling insecurity, deeply overthinking, how am I coming across? Am I saying the right, I shouldn't talk too much, I, shouldn't, I should say more, because I wanted to exist, in, and wanting to exist in the room well made me not be present at all. Um, I'm living by the old rules. I'm not just being a love child of God. I, I, I'm so deeply hardwired by my flesh and the world that gives me a set of values by which to measure my worth. And so I missed a couple years worth of those meetings I missed. I was there, but I missed them. Um, and now, you know, fast forward to last week. Now we're like in March of 2023. Uh, last Thursday, March 9th, I'm in the room with some of those same leaders. And, you know, we've been together for years and I'm just... And, but now we have, a, there's a bunch of pastors that we've invited on the journey with us and we're mentoring them and we're in San Francisco at a conference. It's like 100 pastors in the room and there's this older, wiser pastor in, uh, in the room with us, speaking to us. And he goes, <clears throat> he says something like this. He's like, hey guys, I, I know that in a room like this, you wanna come off really well. And, and I know that you think there's something really cool you're a part of right now. And that's cool. And, and, and he's like, but let me just tell you something I've been doing with Jesus that's been somewhat helpful. The guy's like 55, 50, 56. He's like, I've been asking him to show me, Jesus, is there anything I'm doing today that I'll be embarrassed about in five years? And just listen. And he's like, there's been so many moments in my life where I thought I was part of something so cool. Like, so important. And like, I can't believe I'm part of a movement or whatever, I would say. And make, I'm, I'm making a really big impact. And then five years down the road, I'm like, I can't believe what I was thinking. It's so I'm hilarious. I'm hilarious. You just look back. I, I, was, I thought I was such a big deal. And so he's like, this is a new spiritual practice of mine. I say, Holy Spirit, come and shine your light on anything I'm doing, any rules I've made for myself, any measurements I'm using that I'm really excited about that I'll just be embarrassed of in five years now in light of your kingdom. Just please show me. I'll tell you guys, uh, I think that's a really good idea. Why? Why do I think that's a good idea? Because I'm... Deceive, I'm deceived. <laughs> I'm so easy, we're deceived. I'll show, you, I'll show you that you could be deceived. So, like, is there anything you're doing right now, you can name what you're doing right now that you think is a really big deal that in five years you, you won't think it's a big deal anymore? You're like, I don't know, exactly, because you'd be deceived, you're deceived. You know what I mean? That's the nature of it. That's the nature of it. You can't know. You need outside influence. You need the light of God. I don't know. I mean, I probably assume that they're, like N.T. Wright, he says, there's a 20% that I'm wrong. I just can't name it. 
I'm deceived. This is the old world. This is the old values that we can't even yet pull apart. We need the light of God. Scriptures, Holy Spirit, prophetic words. Any way you can, Jesus, shine your light so that my life glorifies you now, not just five years from now. So I'd like to invite us to do that. Just sing this first song out of the teaching, Holy Spirit, come. And we're going to sing the, we're going to sing the gospel. He was the word from the beginning, one with God. Hidden glory in creation now revealed through Christ, and his name is beautiful. We're going to sing that. So can we pray right now? Just, Holy Spirit, come. Please, Lord, in your grace, would you please show us the bigness of the Father's love and the smallness of all the rules that we live by to generate a sense of worth. Help us to set our minds, to truly set our alarms in the new world. Alarm us with your spirit. Lovingly alarm us of what's really real. That we are in Christ. Nothing else really matters. We're in Christ. Nothing else really matters. Thank you, Jesus.